Amen. Thank you so much for being here this evening. Would you open a Bible with me to the book of Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 1 is the home base of our study and our time together in God's Word this evening. I'll give you plenty of time to turn back there or scroll over there. I would love it if you would have a Bible open and ready. We're going to read together in our Bibles, and we'll have it projected on the screen in just a few moments from Hebrews chapter 1, but I need you to have nimble fingers or thumbs this evening. We're going to read a lot from God's Word, and those passages from the Old Testament will not be projected. I'll give you plenty of time to turn back to them, but you would be well served, I believe, to have a Bible open and ready to follow along with us. Hope that you've had a good day today. We have some who've been traveling who are back in town. It's good to have you back. Nice to have some afternoon rain that blew out in time for you to get in here, hopefully without getting rained on. It is my privilege to use God's Word this evening to try and stimulate your thinking and give you fuel for this week ahead. As you watch shows on television, do you have any favorites that from the very beginning, first words that are spoken are something like this. Previously on, and you fill in whatever it is that you watch. We understand you don't have to see that or hear that very often, hopefully to understand what is going on there. You are being tipped off that in just a few seconds, we're going to jump right into the middle of a story, but if you are unfamiliar with this story or these characters or this recent history or this context, whatever it is, these are some important things that have been recently said in this storyline. These are some characters maybe that you haven't seen for quite a while, but you're going to need to remember or know who these people are and where they fit in because there is more to the story and we're going to hop right into the middle of it. I'd encourage you to think of Hebrews chapter 1, first few verses of that masterful book, like that, previously on. If we get a little bit of a, a time marker here, we know that Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way to Malachi, really those are written with Hebrews in mind. And by Hebrews, what we're talking about are descendants of Abraham. Right? Jews, children of Israel. These were what you and I call the Old Testament. These were their scriptures. Uh, the law given to them by God through the great lawgiver Moses, who was a Hebrew. He was a descendant of their great forefather Abraham, and even though some of those kings didn't exactly do well and good, these were their kings, these were their prophets, these were 
their psalms, their songbook right in the heart of what you and I refer to as the Old Testament. But God had been silent for 400 years. If you're using a paper Bible, you might have a little blank piece of paper between the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. And that blank page represents 400 years. You and I, think about how much time has passed between this evening and 1623. How many people have lived? How many generations have come and gone? How many discoveries there have been made? How much the world has changed in 400 years? For these people, these children of Israel, God had done some amazing things. And His people had been able to do some amazing things because of Him, but they had also made some royal messes. And there were spokesmen from God that had come and warned and tried to provoke and rebuke and, and correct. And, and eventually God promised there at the end of the Old Testament a great famine. Not of bread or oil or anything like that, but a, a famine of His Word. And just like He promised, for 400 years He didn't talk to His people. Until that scene where Zach took us to open up our time together. Or until, think of what this book in our New Testaments would mean to these people. I mean, there were some of their fellow countrymen who had participated in this great story that we're going to talk about this evening. And, and they had been used by God to write some letters but as far as I can tell, this is the first book in our New Testaments that is really talking to them, to the descendants of Abraham. And what do you say after 400 years of silence? How do you summarize, maybe, as you begin to unveil the next chapter in God's amazing plan? How do you summarize all of that history? In fact, it's, you can't really do it as well with an electronic device, but if you have a paper Bible, keep your hand right there in Hebrews 1. We're going to be there in just a moment. And if your Bible has a table of contents, go back with me to that table of contents even before Genesis chapter 1. You can see that there are more books in your Old Testament, not just more books, but substantially more material. As you look in that table of contents from Genesis all the way to Malachi, that's 929 chapters. By comparison, our New Testament's 260 chapters. 
929 chapters. That's roughly 78% of God's written revelation to mankind is in our Old Testaments. So how in the world can we summarize 78% of the Bible in just four verses? Several of you, when you saw what we were talking about this evening, offered several really good guesses. I'm sorry, maybe your guess was better than my guess. My guess simply came from our recent daily Bible reading. In recent weeks, we've been reading the book of Hebrews. And I'd love to use Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, to show you the Old Testament in just four verses. Would you read it with me, beginning in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. We had on your way in a, a kind of map of these four verses. It would not offend me at all if you didn't get one of those for you to grab one of them in the foyer. If you've got one, I want you to look for the number one. And all that we're going to do is lean on these four verses. You might put a marker there and go back with me to Genesis chapter 1. How do you summarize the bulk of your Bible. This Bible is a big book. Most of us find the New Testament a little easier to understand than the Old Testament. How can you summarize the entire Old Testament in just four verses? Is your Bible open there to Genesis chapter 1? We're not going to start in Hebrews 1 verse 1. I want you, if you're following along with our map, to look for the number one and fill in that blank, creating. He created. You want to understand your Old Testament? This is where it begins. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And throughout Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2, we can read all about what God created. It was good. In fact, by the time we reach the end of those six days worth of creation, God summarizes it all. He looks at it and he says, this is very good, but we're just Three pages into our Bible when we run across mankind's biggest problem. And so if you're following along on your, your map for this evening, I want you to find the number two, and I want you to write the word sins. Because it's right there in our four-verse 
summary. Yes, God created. He created the world. But toward the end of our little four-verse summary, we heard the word sins. And we can read all about that in Genesis chapter 3. Yes, God created. He created humans. Male and female. In His image, He gave us everything we need in order not just to survive, but to, to flourish and enjoy life with Him. Fellowship with Him and with each other. The way that it was meant to be from the very beginning. But a serpent slithers into that garden and says, Did God really say... No, no, you don't need to worry about that. In fact, God is withholding the best from you. If, if you'll just follow my lead, I can make you like him. Look, look at the uh, amazing things he was able to do. And if you'll take my advice, you can be like him. And even though God had said, stay away. Enjoy this beautiful paradise that I've provided for you. The woman sees something that she would like to have, something that sure would taste good, looks good. In fact, if, if this serpent is telling me the truth, it would be good for me. And so she takes it, she eats, she gives to her husband, Adam, who is with her. He eats and instantly... Human beings created in the image of God are filled with shame. They start to hide. They start to blame. They start to doubt whether or not the personalities around them can be trusted. Whether or not this is all going to be worth it to to begin with, and God sends them out of the garden. From Genesis 4 on, we read this sad, downward spiral of sin. Until. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, book number 2 in your Old Testaments. Exodus chapter 3. We heard in our four-verse summary about the fathers. And if you can find number three on that textual roadmap and write in that blank, fathers. What did this writer mean when he says that God spoke to our, our fathers? Well, an easy way of summarizing that is in Exodus chapter 3. I want you to look at verse Six, where the Lord God, the, the creator of all who has been steadfast all along, even though these people created in his image have not been, he identifies himself. He's speaking to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And in verse 6, he describes himself as the God, Moses, of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses hears this, he hides his face. He's, he's afraid to look at this God because he knows what this God has done in the history of this family. He, he knows what this God has done in the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His four 
fathers. But I want you to notice with that context in mind, God created and mankind brought sin into the world. And then in our Old Testaments, we begin to follow this, this family line. That started with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And our writer in Hebrews chapter 1 wants us to understand. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke. If you're following along on your map. Number 4 there at the very top. You can write in that blank God spoke. God spoke to our fathers. Let's say right here in Exodus chapter 3. You read with me in verse 13. Exodus 3 verse 13 where God tells Moses, I'm sending you back down to Egypt and I'm going to use you to bring these descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob out of their bondage in Egypt to the land that I promised to Abraham centuries ago. Exodus 3 verse 13, Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, Here's the point in Hebrews 1 verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. In this instance, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. But Moses only lived so long. So let's go in our Bibles to the book of Joshua. We've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Really, Moses is at the heart of a lot of those first few books of the Bible. I want you to notice with me in Joshua chapter 1. Did God's plan stall somehow when Moses died the way all human beings die. No, in, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. In this case, he says to Joshua, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. Go with me to the next book in your Bibles, the book of Judges, because obviously Moses only lived so long, Joshua only lived so long. What, what about the next generation? Did God stop at that point? Judges chapter 2, verse 10. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Joshua's generation. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. 
And the people of Israel, this, this family line that started with Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, the gods of the Canaanites around them. They, they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They, they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. We could keep reading and hear about how God gave them over. He, he abandoned them. If, if they weren't going to walk with him, he wasn't going to grab them by their hair and, and drag them in the way that was right. He, he, he essentially says, well, if you want to go after these Canaanite gods, let's see how that works for you. And you read the book of Judges and you find very quickly it doesn't work at all. Hey, the mess just gets bigger and bigger and they, they cry out to God and God raises up a deliverer, a, a, a judge. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. Go with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8. A little after this, 1 Samuel chapter 8. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. A lot about Moses there. Joshua, his successor, judges these, these, these people who God uses to try and train his people to stay in the way that is right. By the time we get to 1 Samuel chapter 8, we're reading about the last of those judges. His name is Samuel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse 1, we read that he's a, an old man. And Israel comes to him and they say to him, verse 4, Behold, you are old. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. And, and this thing displeased Samuel. I'm guessing because of their voiced motivation. We, we want to be like everybody else around us. And, and it's not hard to imagine how Samuel would be screaming on the inside... Don't you know that ever since the days of Moses, God has been calling you to be different from the nations around you? Verse 7, the Lord, Samuel prays to him. The Lord says, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. They've not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up, out of Egypt, Moses, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign 
over them. Samuel goes on to do that. Listen, this, this king, when he reigns over you, he's going to take your sons and appoint them for his chariots and his horses. He's, he's going to bring them into his service. He's going to make you plow his ground and reap his harvest. He's going to take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. He's going to make it all about him. And the people say, sounds good to us. All that we want is a king. And that's what they get. And so we ought not to be surprised that the next collection of books in our Old Testament is First Kings. Go with me to First Kings chapter 17. First Kings chapter 17, because in the line of these kings, God had prophets. And if you're following along on your textual roadmap, you can see there, number five, write the word prophets. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. He, he spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Men like Elijah, for example. In 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1, Elijah the Tishmite of Tishma in Gilead said to Ahab, one of the kings of Israel, as the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 1 Kings 22 gives us a great example of that. 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse 19. What should one of these kings in Israel understand when one of these prophets delivers a message? 1 Kings chapter 22 verse 19. We've got a prophet named Micaiah. Micaiah said to King Ahab, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, turn your Bibles to the book of Psalms. After that era of kings, in Psalms, Psalm 2. The point that this writer of Hebrews really wants us to understand is God has sent his son. If you're following along on your textual roadmap, blank number six, you can write son. He has spoken to us by his son. And so Psalm 2 verse 1 asks, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. How does God respond when human beings, either individually or collectively, decide, you know what, we don't want to listen to God anymore. We, we've got this on our own. Verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He, he's got a message. Look down at verse 7. 
I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. There's a new character in this great story. And it's not Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. It's not Moses. It's not any of the judges or even the prophets. It is God's own begotten son. A son whom he, number seven, appointed. Stay right there in Psalm 2. Look at verse 6. As for me, God says, I have set my king. It's not Saul or David or Solomon or Ahab or any of those other kings. No, no, God says, I have a king. All of these human kings, some good, most bad, little bit of good, whole lot of mess. I'm going to set my king on Zion. My holy hill. And I'm, I'm going to make him, number eight, the heir. The heir of all things. Stay there in Psalm 2. Look at verse 8. God invites this son. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Can I really take refuge in another king? Because I've put my hope in this king after this king after this king after this king. And more often than not, they've just taken advantage of it. They, they've just done exactly what God said they would do. It's been all about them. Taking whatever they want to take. Even the one after God's own heart. What makes this king different? Go with me to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 60. And if you're following along on your road map, you can write in blank number nine, radiance. What makes this king different? Listen to the language in Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 1. Arise, shine, for your Light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He created the world. And this Son is the radiance of the glory of God. Go to the next chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 61. He is the exact imprint 
of God's nature. And so in Isaiah 61 verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This Son, this King that God raises up. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. That's what you do to kings. He's anointed me, this new king, to bring good news. Not to the rich, to the poor. He has sent me to bind up, not more human armies, but to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty, not to the 1%, but to the captives. And the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called. That, that God's people might be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord, that God may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastation. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. That's amazing news. But it gets even better. Go with me a few pages before to Isaiah 53. This king is going to make purification. Purification for sins. Purification for our sins. Isaiah 53 verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He, this, this king, God's own son, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at. He, he looked just like everybody else. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. He came with such good news, and yet he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. He was the Lord's anointed one, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. But you need to understand that even though the Lord's anointed one died a horrific death, he's not dead. Go with me back to the book of Psalms very quickly, Psalm 102. And if you're following along in our roadmap, blank number 12, you can write the word universe. This son by whom God has spoken to us in spectacular ways, this Son whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He created the world, this Son who is the radiance of the glory of God and, and the exact imprint of His nature, He made purification for sins by giving His own life as a sacrificial lamb for us, and yet He 
upholds. Present tense. He upholds. Present, active, ongoing tense. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Psalm 102, verse 25. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same. And your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Somehow a a new family line. New offspring, a a new way of having a relationship with God is made available by this one, God's own son. His his anointed king. Well, where is he now? Go with me a few pages later to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us exactly where he is. He is at the right hand of the majesty on high. Just as Psalm 110 verse 1 prophesied. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. That's where he is. At the right hand of the king of the universe. Sit here until I make your enemies your footstool. So let's end back in the book of Hebrews. Go back with me to Hebrews chapter 9. God has clearly promised that something is going to happen. Sit here until I make your enemies your footstool. Which is why the writer of Hebrews introduced his letter after 400 years of silence by saying, Listen, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. He he spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last. What's he mean by that? Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Pick up the reading with me in verse 26. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. Latter part of that verse. As it is, he, God's anointed one, Jesus, the Christ, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages. Not not just for descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's appeared for all at the end of the ages to put away sin. Purification for sins by the sacrifice of himself. But that's not the end of the story. Just as it is appointed for man to die once. That's been true ever since the Garden of Eden. And after that comes judgment. So this Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin. He's already done that. But to save those. Who are eagerly waiting for him. That's the point of this great book of Hebrews. Let's end in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, our last blank in this giant roadmap. I appreciate you going on this journey with me this evening. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He's spoken. 
to us. You see, this isn't irrelevant ancient history. And that becomes clear when we hear what this writer has to say. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Lest we drift away from it. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear. Lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Look at verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 4. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sword of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the intentions and thoughts of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Look at chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh and since. We have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Our sins can be forgiven, not with the blood of goats or lambs or bulls, but by the blood of God's own Son, which is why Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, why it started out this evening by talking about a, a great cloud of witnesses and imagining being able to sing with them. Well, that's Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 78% of your Bible is full of witnesses of men and women of faith who are telling you this evening, he's real. The story is true. You can finish just like we did by faith. Let's lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Where is he? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. Which is why we've been able to sing this evening, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
We've sung about faith of our fathers that is living still and walking in that same path. We want to draw our time together in God's word to a close by encouraging you to realize how sweet is this promise. A promise straight out of Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. I will not forget you or forsake you. This is the greatest story ever told. You would do well to pay attention. You would do well to respond. You would do well to begin walking by faith in the main character of this story who loved you so much that he gave his innocent spotless life you and if we can help you even this evening being reconciled to him or somehow reconnecting with him God's promises are sweet and faithful if we can help you would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and sing together